0: to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. Spending our time on science graphs will send everyone into PowerPoint coma. So I've decided another route for introducing the Anthropocene. And this is truly new territory for all of us, and including us as a species. And the way I'm going to do that is read you a letter that I've written to our grandson uh, about our life and his life. So here is the three-and-a-half-year-old Brooklyn philosopher who's contemplating his future. Dear Eduardo, this is a love letter, but not the usual. Of course, Grandma Ila and I, together with your abuela y abuelo in Colombia, match doting grandparents anywhere. Our affection lacks nothing. But this letter is unique because it's the first love letter consciously written by a grandparent who lived in one geological epoch to a grandchild living in another. No other letter in the whole history of love knowingly sends love from a grandpa in the late Holocene to a toddler in the early Anthropocene. That's weird. It's also important, because the Anthropocene is the time of your life while the late Holocene is the time of mine. This language rings strange to me, you, yet probably not to you, if you are reading this as a 16 or 18-year-old. Unlike me, you will experience the tumultuous changes that ride astride a new geological epoch. While human history and human experience was my main subject, Earth science and planetary experience will likely be yours. You will learn big history, where the human drama is a chapter in Earth's drama, even a chapter in the journey of the universe. So you already know from school and your smartphone watch that Holocene means the holy recent epoch while Anthropocene, yours, means the age of the human. That's from the Greek Anthropos. God only knows why geologists all speak Greek, but they do. I realize it's hopelessly nerdy to include a graph. What love letter features a science graph? Follow the purple line. That's the temperature variation across the last 11,000 years. The last 11,000 years is the late Anthropocene. The temperature varies from less than one degree Celsius above the baseline to less than one degree below it. This minimal difference is rare in Earth's history. Look at the line before it turns purple. <clears throat> the minimal variation means that the geological grammar of the epoch that has hosted every single civil, human civilization to date, bar none, is climate stability. Uncommon stability, permitting and generating a riot of life. My lifetime in Gramanilus fall to the far right of this 11,000 years where purple takes a sudden turn and heads straight up with more to come. That temperature spike is the early Anthropocene and it's where I leave my life behind and you begin yours. You cannot know what I would give so that you did not live out your days on that trajectory. That line, your life, is climate instability, mass uncertainty, and breathtaking extinction across the community of life. On that line, tragedy looms, and I pray you are able to wring adaptation from distress. What I know is that Anthropocene citizens who continue Holocene habits doom their children. Nonetheless, the world has not stopped being beautiful. So claim the beauty that is. Beauty is its own resistance. Nor has love stopped being love. Even a wounded world holds us. In any event, you and I will have precious days together in the great transition that will define every day of your life and the last ones of mine, the transition from industrial to ecological civilization. However many years that takes, but surely your lifetime, may well turn out to be the branching point between calamity and wisdom. For it to be wisdom and not calamity, we will all need to learn how to let go of this fossil-fueled consumerist world and love all the things that climate cannot change. Did you know that the year you were born, 2015, was the decisive one in several ways? It was the warmest on record to that point. In the first days of December alone in the United States, 1,426 high-temperature records fell when you were 10 months. We shouldn't be surprised, since the year before, 2014, was the hottest until then, and the hottest 17 years all occurred in the last 20. In May, when you were about three months, CO2 passed 400 parts per million for the first time in all human history. And half the climb to 400 parts per million happened after 1980. The present 411 parts per million is not only the highest carbon concentration in 800,000 years, but the rate of emission is increasing. Your birth year saw unprecedented response as well. On December 12th, the 195 nations signed the Paris Peace, a Paris Climate Agreement, a political miracle. Even when everyone there knew it was only the first step, and in order to stave off runaway catastrophe, greenhouse gas emissions must drop to zero by 2050, when you are 35. One nation, under Trump rather than under God, is exiting the Paris Agreement. Just as all of the dollar records of your birth year were being broken in your second year and will be again in your third. As I write, it's monster storms, hurricanes Harvey, Irma, Maria, and Jose, and it's wildfires in both northern and southern California. In Barrow and Barrow Alaska, the climate monitoring station dropped off the map. Its algorithms found the warming data so unreal, they simply wiped it out. They cleaned the slate. The algorithms had no place for a new normal that far out of range. I suspect our Holocene habits are similarly tuned. Our habits, in effect, clean the slate. And so we look at climate system change, and then we look away. Another 2015 response came earlier in June. The papal encyclical, Laudato Si'. I'll not exegete it, only say that it is the single most powerful indictment to date of how the modern world has gone wrong. Moreover, it challenges the Paris Agreement, what the Paris Agreement still enshrines, namely the orthodoxy of perpetual economic growth within the framework of global corporate capitalism. The encyclical speaks of climate change impacts as catastrophe and disaster, while the Paris Accord uses the tepid language of adverse effects, never acknowledging anything truly fundamentally wrong with our dominant paradigm. And the Pope dares to say what the Paris Agreement does not, that the happiness of the rich is subsidized by the suffering of the poor and of all creation. Happiness comes with the debt that economic privilege exacts day by day from womb to tomb. The third turning point all but mentioned you by name. It was the filing of Juliana v. et al. v. the United States. 21 children and youth backed by an organization called Our Children's Trust, brought suit against the U.S. government. The Children's Suit argues that the government holds resources such as land and water in trust for all of its citizens and should be considered a trustee of the atmosphere as well. How this quest for genuine intergenerational rights turns out, you will know. However, it turns out, I'm clear about yet another development, a certain emerging consciousness. In these latter days of the Holocene, we have become aware of ourselves as short-lived creatures on a small planet in a long-lived galaxy and countless planets. This cosmology of wonder and the journey of the universe is not only sound science, It's our identity. Short-lived though we be, our origins are stellar. Eduardo, we are stardust. The calcium in your teeth, the iron in your blood, and the gold of a wedding band of commitment you might someday wear are all gifts of exploding supernovae, big star. The grace of stardust funded your life. It really does take a universe to raise a child. You, a little brother, you tell me, is swimming in your mommy's tummy, and all your friends, ancestors, pet turtles, and progeny. So maybe the Crow Nation is right. We love the stars, they sing, and the stars love us back. What I most want for you and your baby brother is that you lose yourself in the kaleidoscope of creation. Be overwhelmed, but be overwhelmed with wonder. Not in order to escape the world, but better to inhabit it. I've loved watching you plant tiny carrot seeds in the little seedling pots, then seeing your delight in the first green pushing through as you carry the seedling so carefully to the raised bed on the deck and plant it there, a carrot grows in Brooklyn. Yet to date, this cosmology of cosmic wonder is without translation into law or even into conventional consciousness. My prayer is that the children's lawsuit, together with the papal encyclical, might join the cosmology of wonder and the intergenerational ethic that it reaches for. I finish this letter on a related note. As a Christian ethicist, I ground obligation in a moral universe of all the children. All the children alludes to the dedication in Thomas Berry's book, The Great Work, Our Way into the Future. Here's the dedication. To the children, to all the children, to the children who swim beneath the waves of the sea, to those who live in the soil of the earth, to the children of the flowers in the meadows and the trees in the forest, to all the children who roam over the land and the winged ones who fly with the winds, to the human children too, that all the children may go together in the future in the full diversity of their community. All the children translates as full bore rights of nature, ourselves included. Its moral universe understands planetary creation as sacred, seamless, and interdependent, a single, complex, luminous ecosphere. Like Genesis, this creation is also deemed good. All the children are worthy of the public trust the children's lawsuit seeks. And since no other species has lawyers, it must be our law for everyone's sake, all the children. My dear child, I must break off for now. I do so with a heavy heart because I know that wholly against Gramanilas and my will, we hand you a bitter irony. Measured by our planetary imprint, the world we hand you is the most human of all epochs. It is also the most dangerous. And with no choice whatsoever on your part, you will have to live with that. Grandma Nyla and I and our ancestors lived our whole life on a single fatal premise, namely, that what was good for us would be good for the world. But we have been wrong. The biggest question itself was one we learned too late, namely, we asked, what humans want from life, but what counts is what life wants from humans. It's a very big question, what life wants from humans, to be sure. Too big for people alone. But people aren't alone and have never been. There's God and the universe and the riot of life for three billion years, on this third rock from the sun. So the contrary assumption was right, namely that what was good for the world would be good for us. We've learned too late that because human well-being is always derivative, creation's well-being is always primary. Next time, I'll write about the dilemma of the Anthropocene and more joyful things. <laughs> we have to catch a boat and then a bus to a remote village in the Cascades right now. So I must sign off. I send all my love, Grandma Nylas, too. Te Amo, Grandpa. Uh, P.S. I have a request. If, by the time you read this as a young man, I am dead, as dead I well may be, would you join your mother's lovely voice at my memorial service? And would you sing not just any song, rather this one, where your living and my dying meet in a love that bridges even geological epochs? You'll sing it in Spanish, but here's the English. In all our living, we belong to God. And in our dying, we are still with God. So whether living or whether dying, we belong to God. We belong to God. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information, or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.